Hey everyone, you're listening to the Elysium Project podcast. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you enjoy today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us online and on social media at elysiumproject.ca. Today I'm speaking with Jeff Lichty. Jeff is the founder of Ashtanga Yoga Canada, the Calgary Ashtanga Yoga School, and the Anxious to Awesome program. A long career as a critical care paramedic and his exposure to mental and physical trauma convinced him to pursue a more comprehensive, proactive approach to physical, mental, and spiritual health. In 1993, Jeff worked alongside Mother Teresa, which helped establish an unshakable belief in the value of spirituality and service. Jeff, you've traveled to India how many times now? Uh, yeah, probably about, uh, I guess I'm on my, my 20th trip, you know, I've been there back and forth 20 times and, uh, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a ongoing study of, uh, yoga over there for probably, yeah, since 2003, I've been studying yoga, but 1993 was my first trip, uh, when I just needed some time off as a medic and went and spent a little time in India, volunteer with Mother Teresa, did a little trekking in Nepal, that kind of thing. So that was, uh, yeah, that was the way in. It took me 10 years to get back to India, mind you. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it, India can be pretty traumatizing. It's pretty full on place. It's a pretty full on place, you know. I so, bet. Yeah. And I was young. I was 23. It was my first trip. I'd never been out of the, you know, I'm a, I was a, uh, Ontario boy, a Mennonite boy, you know, kind of sheltered existence. So first time really traveling internationally and, and heading over to India was, uh, it was a, it was a, a culture shock to say the least. So it's lots of fun, lots of fun, good memories. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to join the show today. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. You said you were a, a Mennonite. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's my my family's religion is well Protestant. Mennonites are okay. part of the Protestant tradition in uh, Christianity. My one grandfather was Amish, and my other grandfather was also Mennonite, but not uh, from the old order. So, so did, those those are my roots. That's the heritage. Yeah, you kind of grew up on like on a colony then. Uh, I did not. No, oh, okay. but um, but my my father did. And uh, it was his father that basically steered him towards uh, sort of a more modern lifestyle. I mean, we didn't we didn't lack for any of that stuff. I mean, we were like pretty straight up middle class, you know, existence uh, apart from spending, you know, maybe more time in, in churches than most kids, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't inflict that on anyone, to be honest, but, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it also had its really good benefits. So yeah, that was, that was the upbringing for sure. Wow. I didn't know that Jeff and I know each other from when I lived in Calgary and we did not have this conversation yet. So that's no. very, that's really interesting. <laughs> it's like all the little, all the little tidbits that come out in a podcast. Right. I mean, that's pretty, pretty, uh, funny. Yeah. yeah I guess we well, didn't have that time. All of those things shape us so much though, right? And our life paths, as you know, and as our listeners know, I grew up in Calgary, the big city, over a million people. And then coming out here, I'm now on Vancouver Island. The contrast is so much different. And I imagine, well, although you didn't grow up on a colony, that that sort of upbringing would have definitely shaped you and the path that you've taken in your life. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my grandfather was a, uh, a farmer, but also, uh, the minister of the, the church. And a lot of my uncles have masters of divinities and, um, or a couple more of my uncles do. And so it seems like there was a, a family of ministers and nurses that uh, the aunties were, a lot of them are nurses and my mom was nurse. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of service in my family for sure. I mean, we're definitely oriented that way. Uh, there's something called the Mennonite Central Committee, MCC, which does a lot of work overseas and, and, um, you know, a few of my uncles have been on missions for that. And, um, and they do a lot of great work all over the world. And, and they have, even in Calgary, they have a, a MCC uh, thrift shop. It's over in the Northeast, I think, or Southeast maybe. But Totally. Now that you say that, I definitely, I'm aware of it. I didn't realize that's what it was associated with. Yeah, MCC is the Mennonite Central Committee. Yeah, that's oh. right. Interesting. What was it that took you on this path of yoga initially? Yeah, well, you know, I've been a medic for probably 13 years at the time. And I mean, you know, a lot of people think about paramedics having burnout. And I would say it's more of a rust out type situation. I mean, there's, there's a lot of just um, repetitive, boring mm things that we go and see. I mean, they're not boring to the people we're serving. They're not boring to the people that we go and, and visit, but you know, someone's broken hip, which is a very, very big event in their life. Of course, is sort of like, ho oh, hum, you know, we've done a few of those same with heart attacks. Oddly enough, you know, I, uh, we did so many, you know, MIs or myocardial infarction calls, you know, it's like, okay, ASA, nitromorphine, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's what we do. And, and I mean, do a lot of those um, in my career. Like I, I don't even know how many hundreds I would have done of those, but um, you know, that was just part of the job. There was a lot of things that were sort of more routine in our, in our culture. And um, you know, we were good at them and I think we gave really good care, but you would have those routine calls. And then, then you would have some calls that were just sheer, you know, sheer terror. Like things are off the charts, you know, where, you know, there's like multiple things going on, multiple casualties, multiple, whatever. Mm. And, and over time, I think that just sort of plays on you a little bit or played on me. I should say, I'll just, I'll own it for myself only. I think there's some, some medic friends of mine who are fantastic and have great resilience for that career. Um, I myself just found that it, it got to a point where, you know, I've seen enough blood for a couple lifetimes. I don't need to see anymore, you know, and uh, it got to that point. And I had the opportunity to, um, I, you know, there was a time where I was feeling stressed at work. I think there's some relationship challenges and, and, um, you know, a lot of friends of, of mine, um, in, in that field, I mean, we, we would drink a lot. Uh, we would, we would party pretty hard, you know, but more than anything, we do like some high adrenaline sports, like let's mm. climb hard. Let's, you know, like let's go climb and let's go mountain bike and let's, let's just do high, high adrenaline things. And, and there was this time where I, I thought, you know, you know, because we get a lot of time off during the week and, and you, there'd be a lot of time where there's no one else around. So I'd go and do some things in the mountains myself. And instead of doing increasingly high adrenaline pursuits, I realized, you know, there's that small part, I think, in each of us that, that uh, recognizes, man, if I keep going or keep pushing this limit, like I'm not that good a climber, you know, I'm probably going to fall off something and, and like die or injure myself badly. You know, I, you know, I was a pretty good climber, but I wasn't, you know, I'm not 
anything world class. I'm I'm like middle of the road in just about everything, you know. And uh, and so that was that was just one of those one of those realizations. And we were sitting downtown. I think it was in 2000. I was sitting, uh, you, you know, downtown, and there's a place called Electric Avenue, and a lot of us you know, you'd have to have some story, but you know, this, like where all the bars were. So we'd hang out there in the ambulance at night. And I looked up at this window and there was this place called yoga in motion and yoga in motion had this, had this, had this uh, promotion, $90 for 90 days. And I'm like, wow, man, I've spent 90 bucks at a bar. Like, forget about it. Let's, uh, you know, we can, we can easily like spend 90 bucks and go and try this yoga thing out. And, um, and that's what I did. And I, I went there and I got hooked. I, I really enjoyed the physical movement and the breathing and kind of it all together, wrapping it up with a bit of meditation. And that started me on this journey and this path. Um, it became clear that there was this thing called Ashtanga Yoga, and it's a Patabi Joyce's um, asana lineage. And uh, Patabi Joyce was this guy from Mysore, India, who had a very specific sort of sequence and way of delivering the physical posture practice. And um, it was clear probably within the first year or so that there wasn't a lot of people who could take me further in that very specific style in Calgary. And, uh, so I thought, okay, well, I could go down to the States or I could, you know, and there's a few teachers I would have liked to study with down in the States. But I mean, my money would have lasted like, I don't know, two weeks down there, you know, with the Canadian dollar at like 65 cents <laughs> or whatever it was, you know, or I could go to India for four months. So I, I was, I was kind of, you know, tired of uh, the medic thing. I, you know, like, a, again, you know, like the, part of my personality is I just do stuff full on and, you know, my last year of paramedic school, I, I worked full-time, went to school full-time. And by the end of it, I was just, I was just kind of toast and I needed a little break. So that was when I went to India in 2003. And that was my first trip. And I just took, took some time off then and, and, uh, and, and away I went. So yeah, it was, it was good. I'm getting the dates a little bit mixed up, but, but that was the idea. So 2003 was when I, when I went back to India. To go and okay. I was about to clarify that. Cause I thought you had said nine, 1993 was your first trip. Yeah. 93 was my first trip. And that was actually after I'd worked full-time and went to school full-time and went and, and just needed a break. And that was my first trip to India. And there is something about India. It's so special, you know, that there, you know, especially in 93, it was a real throwback. I mean, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no way to get a hold of people. Like, you know, I have crazy stories from that trip, but um, really, you, you know, I went by myself, which probably wasn't the smartest, you know, I didn't have any sort of life experience to do that, but I'm kind of a jump in with both feet kind of guy. So I did that and, and ended up, um, you know, like being pretty sick in this one city in Varanasi, Varanasi, and uh, they, you know, in this, uh, I guess we have time for this story. You know, in this, in this uh, state, like what happened, I got a gastroenteritis and I really got a high fever and vomiting and diarrhea really quickly. And I just felt horrible and it, and it, and it came so fast. And in my sort of, you know, Mennonite boy state and in my kind of, the quick loss of fluid and not really thinking properly and just being scared. Really. I was just scared. Um, I thought, Oh, there's, there's, you know, there's only two places I can go to get treatment. I'm, and I'll consider this, like I'm in the middle of India and I'm thinking, mm. okay, there's the only place I can go that I can trust to treat me is in, is, 
is is in uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, or in Calcutta. And I'm like, it's the most ludicrous thing. It'd be like sitting here in Calgary and thinking, I need to go to Alaska, you know, or I need to go to Montreal, you know, and and those were the only two options I could formulate. And and I, wow. I don't know why why I, I was really like that, but that's what happened. And so, you know, at the train station, I jumped on this train for a 36-hour train ride to get down to, to Calcutta because the other option of crossing a, a border into Kathmandu was crazy. Like, there'd just be absolutely no way that I would have been able to do, like, it was something like 13 hours on a train and then 10 hours overland on a bus and, you know, with a crossing of an international border. I just, yeah. you know, like, I had no way I could have tried to do that. So anyways, you know, in, in that first hour and this three tier second class sleeper, you know, it was, it was, you know, high thirties, low forties. And in this sleeper, I'm con- I think it was even more like probably 40, oh, yeah. 42 degrees. And, uh, and I, I was dehydrated and to make, to, to just fast forward the story really quickly. Um, I made it to Calcutta and I, got on a human rickshaw eventually uh there's a lot more facets to it but um you know and it was getting dark and i'm like this human rickshaw driver i think kind of knew where he was taking me but i didn't know you know and and i mean like everything is foreign in india when you're there the first time it's like the sights the sounds the people the honking the noises the pollution the, the everything and he took me through all these little back alleys deeper and deeper into the heart of like a you know, this area of Calcutta. And I'm like, and then he puts his little rickshaw down. This was when human rickshaws were still a thing. And he, uh, and then he takes my pack and he basically throws it off and, and kicks me out. And I mean, I must've looked like death warmed over. Cause I, man, I was, I had a fever and chills and, you know, I'd lost a ton of weight in, 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 uh, just a ton of fluid really from like vomiting and diarrhea for 36 hours. So I was, I was a waste bucket and, uh, and I, I looked um, and, and I gave him his whatever 20 or 30 rupees and he left and I'm stuck in the middle of this sort of area that was like a slum to me. I'm like, I don't know where I am and it's getting dark and it's like, and I was starting to freak out, but he had pointed to this wooden door and I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, I guess this is it. So I'm knocking on this wooden door and this big, fat, thick wooden door just creaks open. And uh, this woman by the name of Sister Joshma of the Missionaries of Charity was there and she invited me in and like she took a look at me and was like, oh, my God, oh, bless you, child, come in, you know, and sat me down and and uh, and kind of was was like, you know, what, what can we do for you? And by this time, like I'd had it, I'd been there for two weeks in India and I'd been on guard the whole time. Cause I didn't understand anything about Indian, um, Indian culture, yeah. you know, any of the, the gods, the pantheon of gods that is, is in Hinduism and right. you know, doing pujas on it. And, you know, like to my little Mennonite Protestant mind, it's like, it's all the devil, right? It's like everything about it is like, you are worshiping the devil. And I'm like, I'm getting cursed, you know, left, right and center, not like, whatever anyhow mm. so you know the fast forward that's where i ended up plunked right in front of mother house that where mother Teresa lives right in the heart of calcutta uh the sisters kind of pointed me in the right direction set me up in a cab got me to a doctor you know and and in within 24 hours i was like 98 better because i got the right medicine from their doctor and i was good 
the 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 most ironic and comical part of the story is that the medicine that he gave me I actually had in my backpack because I was a a paramedic and and I had this I just you know I didn't have the faculties to reason my way through this you know and just take the medicines that I had you know and and uh, maybe I didn't have the confidence or something at the time but anyways it's just pretty funny pretty funny Mm -hmm. and that's why that's one of the reasons why it took me like 10 years to 10 years to get back to India to go and study yoga yeah so that was on your very first trip That was my very first trip to India. Yeah, it was a a mind blower. That's for sure. I can understand that. I can relate. I don't know if we've had this discussion before, given that you're a paramedic, but I've had um, emergency bowel blockages several times that I've had to go into surgery for. Hey, right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I didn't think we had spoken about that. Yeah. Mm. And actually, the one time it happened on Hawaii, when I was on vacation. Right. So very similar to you. I was like, I never want to come back to Hawaii. It just left it really sour. (laughs) Right. It just sours your whole first experience, doesn't it? And, and really, I think that's what happened. It took me 10 years to do that. Mind you, I got married, you know, in that 10 year span and divorced. And I, I, uh, you know, was a, you know, I developed my paramedic skills, skills. I flew with stars for a while. I did a lot of critical care flight paramedicine stuff and which led to the second bit which is a bit bit more of a breakdown and a little bit more of uh you, you know it would be an undiagnosed ptsd but that's what i would have mm. you know i i think i had a lot of you know i saw a lot of trauma in that job and For and sure. uh, some people like i said earlier like i have friends who are just wonderful at dealing with that and being able to compartmentalize it in a certain way and i think there's other people that maybe just aren't quite so wired for that and and mm-hmm. i'm probably one that's not wired as resiliently for just putting stuff in its box and not being affected by the, the brutality that can exist within humanity really, which is, which is really what we faced, you know, Mm -hmm. um, or even just the, you know, the existential questions that arise from like a, a very, you know, I I can even just think back to some calls, you know, like, you, you know, like just very fit, beautiful, people and you know i'm a guy so like a beautiful woman who just like you know is rollerblading on the bike path and falls and cracks her head and dies right there and i'm like wow and this is the you know one a beautiful person that i you know would have been happy to like bait you know like Mm -hmm. so my mind works in a very mysterious and and crazy way you know with some of these things and i think some of my colleagues who have a little more resilience are uh you know they're they're able to like just put it in its proper place and it would just sort of wrap around in my head in weird ways so you know that was just that was just kind of part of the part of the journey for me you know and and that was really why at the time in 2000, I guess it was 2001. It was definitely 2001 because September 11th, uh, when the trade towers were hit, like the World Trade Centers were hit in New York, uh, Patabi Joyce was there and I was studying not in New York, but I was studying here in Calgary. And I remember very much that impact and knowing that Patabi was there and and uh, all of those sorts of things. So, Yeah. Yeah. And that just started it, man. I just, I just jumped into the yoga thing. It was a good way to, for me to heal from some of the trauma of being a medic. Um, Really the meditation stuff, the pasta meditation and, and uh, yoga postures. And it was just a good way to take on a whole new life and a whole new lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. I think again, as we talked about with 
coming from the Mennonite background that also the ex- all those experiences, they shape us, right? And I can't imagine what seeing that trauma on a daily basis as a paramedic would I know that myself, I would have a very difficult time of compartmentalizing that and just sort of not being affected by those those energies that are at play when someone's going through something like that. It's yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah, absolutely intense. But you know, very, very informative as well. I mean, you know, I I've seen enough people pass away right in front of me that recognize that there's some people that have something. You know, they have this spark, they have a faith, they have a belief in something, they have um, an anchor. uh, And when they're transitioning, they're able to do it in a peaceful way. And it's, and it's amazing, you know, that there are those people. And then there's, then there's the, the, you know, then there's majority of us, I think, who would just fight, you know, for our very last breath. And, and, and literally it's a fight for the breath, whereas some people just can release this life very peacefully and calmly. And that was, that was remarkably inspiring in sort of a more morbid way. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some yoga. I'm new in the Comox Valley here and I'm looking at getting into a yoga practice. And I saw someone was looking for a Mysore yoga practice, which I, the only time I'd heard that before was when you were mentioning Mysore. And then right. earlier in the podcast, you said Mysore comes, which I didn't know from a, a, a town in India. That's right. Yeah, it's a city in in southern India near Bangalore. Bangalore, maybe people have heard of, but um, uh, which is a big IT hub, but it's about three hour drive in a car from there. And this is the city where the Maharaj um, of India, you know, had a residence or a palace and um, and, you know, Patabi Joyce ended up teaching uh, there. And so affectionately, that's why students uh, of Patabi Joyce started calling this Mysore style. I think really, really what it is, is it's a, it's a a time of practice where you're being instructed one-on-one in a group setting. It's a little bit difficult to explain, but the idea is that uh, similar to maybe you would in in Kung Fu or martial arts, you learn a, a form. And if everyone in the class was practicing their form that they're working on and the teacher went around and corrected them and then said, no, not like this, like this. It's a similar thing with uh, Mysore style Ashtanga yoga. Um, okay. And the, specifically the the asana practice of Patabi Joyce. And so this this practice of Patabi Joyce has, you know, a bunch of different series. There's six of them supposedly and and they're they're they escalate in difficulty really to where you're getting into and I only got about you know a good way through third series and and where things start to turn into a bit Cirque du Soleil like you know and it becomes a very you know crazy body bending bodybuilding sort of effort um and and so that was the style that I I I specifically learned from Patabi Joyce and, and uh, his grandson, Sharat. And so those were, those were my main teachers of, of asana, really. And then the rest of the time, you end up practicing on your own. Um, twice a week, they would do these lead classes, which are more familiar in, in, um, 
in North America. And that's where the teacher, you know, everyone does everything together. And the teacher says, lift your hands up, do this, do that, twist here, twist there, you know, do this posture, do that posture. And they lead you through the whole practice. And some do it very charismatically. Some put it to music, some put it to whatever, but, but that's not Patavi Joyce's method. Patavi Joyce's method is simply, this is the, this is the form. We're going to start you in on that form. And then we, we take it from there. So that's predominantly the style that I've taught um, of yoga for the last, you know, 18 years, really. Well, yeah. And it, so um, that's the Mysore. Yeah. <clears throat> that's Mysore method. It's called. Yeah. The Mysore method. And it's very good actually, because it, it gets people away from being dependent on a yoga studio or on a yoga teacher. It's probably not the best business model that's been proven time and time again, but um, you know, but, but the idea in yoga is that you don't actually get hooked on the teacher. You, you become an independent practitioner so that you can really go inward. And that, that goes to what yoga truly is. And, and even more so the Ashtanga yoga, that's not a Patavi Joyce and specifically his posture practice, but more of Patanjali who was, a sage in 200 CE who wrote the yoga sutras. And so the yoga sutras is this Sanskrit text that, that gets quoted and referenced often um, in the, in that, in kind of the yoga world. And a lot of the definitions for yoga come from that. So, and a lot of the understanding of what we do kind of comes from that. And it probably was supposed to be for meditation, but it kind of gets cross pollinated with a posture practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. just need to come out here to the Comox Valley because someone was looking for a Mysore practice, regular Mysore practice out here. Looking for a regular Mysore teacher, yeah. And I, I mean, there's there's really not that many who are trained by Patabi Joyce and and Sharat. You know, um, I mean, you know, I think there's 20 of us in Canada at my level right now. You know, and there's there's a cup, there's three people who are certified at the highest level and um but you know really it doesn't matter i mean the idea is that we we develop a practice and this posture practice is a good place to start but you know i think you and i've talked about this brian the in india when you're in india when you say the word yoga people associate that with meditation Mm. they don't associate it with a bunch of gymnastic <laughs> people and they certainly don't associate it with uh, uh people's instagram profiles you know like that is, <laughs> that is not that is not yoga in india yoga really is about the meditation practice so all of these practices that that we see and we're starting to know a little bit about in the west specifically the posture practices or asana it's called asana practices are supposed to lead us towards having a a steady, stable body to, to really explore meditation. And that, that's truly what hot, all of Hatha yoga is supposed to do. It's supposed to lead to Raja yoga, the Royal path to meditation. And so that's really where, you know, in some ways we've really missed the boat. And even I think, you know, what I studied in India kind of missed the boat because a lot of us, myself included, really took a strong interest in the physical posture practice and that really just for, for myself personally put the deeper practices of, of practicing a meditation technique or even just sitting still for a while on hold, you know, while I sorted that out. So anyways, you know, that's just part of the journey, part of the journey, man. Yeah. 
yeah, there's so many different types of mm. yoga, it seems. I, and I was going to say, I think you said there, the hatha mm. is generally speaking an uh, umbrella term for most of the physical yogas. Am I correct on saying that? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I mean, really, all of all of the yoga studios, for the most part, that are doing posture practices, they're they're studying a form of hatha yoga, and and um, whether they admit it or not, they might call it you know like Bikram, we call it Bikram yoga, but that's still a hatha yoga practice of asana. You know, um, you know what other ones are there? There's there's like Iyengar. He studied with Krishnamacharya, as did Patabi Joyce. So it's just an offshoot of the the Krishnamacharya method. Shivananda from the north in India that they would know for sure that that the asanas are specific to like a hatha yoga practice, but it leads to meditation. And uh, again, meditation is that place where we get to explore the, the inner, inner place. And, and I mean, that was, you know, you know, when we were in India, we, we spent a lot of time uh, learning uh, specific Sanskrit chants and, and chanting. Um, mm. We, we spent a lot of time chanting the yoga sutras in Sanskrit with a, a right. couple of different teachers and, um, would that, sorry to interrupt, but would that be, do you refer to that as kirtan when you're in those? No, kirtan, kirtan I, I would say is a little different. Kirtan is sort of the uh, a bhakti or a devotional practice right. of, of singing joyfully to, you yeah. know, whatever the the deity is maybe, or, or even just to lift the spirit of the community. So kirtan is a very specific, and some are very specifically done and others are just very loosely done, but it often involves singing and maybe a little bit of movement and um, and uh, repetitive call and response that could happen. And, and those are, some of them are very much, um, concerned with mantra and doing things with mantra. Some of them are, are, are not, um, I think it really depends on what what school of bhakti or what school of kirtan you've learned from or who you've learned from. I think some people have developed their own thing, and and I think it's pretty wonderful, you know. And really, it's anything that will elevate the spirit and lift you up and help you transcend sort of the the a bit of bit of the mind stuff. But that was the that's the idea with yoga. I mean. There, there's so many different paths and there's lots of different definitions, but um, the yoga sutras, which we chanted are, are what I spent a lot of time teaching and teacher trainings around town. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the first definitions or even the very first yoga sutra, the first Sanskrit verse is Atta yoga anushasanam. It's like Atta in Sanskrit kind of means like you, you, there's this like vibrational quality to the Sanskrit. It's like, Atta, mm. you know, it's this idea of like now, you know, yoga anushasanam. It's like not being from the outside, but something coming from the inside. Now you're ready to study this yoga thing from the inside out. Mm. And that's what the very first sutra is. So Atta yoga anushasanam. And this is, this is this very, very powerful start to the yoga sutras. And so that's why I spend a lot of time teaching it because I, I basically, I want to keep learning it myself. And the more that we, we work with these things, the more we kind of unpack them in the meanings themselves, but there's other great definitions of yoga too, that, that we wouldn't be familiar with ones from the Bhagavad Gita that's from yoga. And this just means yoga is the, is keeping the mind steady, keeping. And, and, you know, when you think about that, um, 
really isn't that what we want. And so in, in this way, when we think about yoga is keeping the mind steady, if you look at this definition from the Bhagavad Gita, then you, you're, we recognize that this is a very, um, you know, like the ocean of yoga can accept so many different, you know, streams and paths into it, you know, and the ocean's not going to overflow. So it's this vast philosophy yoga. And, you know, it, it usually includes asana for us or postures in the West, but it's much, much deeper than mm. that. And it has a philosophical component and that, that can encompass everything. Mm-hmm. What specifically are you, uh, are, were you hoping to get for your, your group here? Like what kind of understanding or am I, am I, am I, am I, am I, am I I on the right track here? Am I just blabbing on? I guess that's what I'm asking you, Matt. This is amazing, Jeff. I love it. You're really, you're dishing out all the content and information that I wanted to hear that I'm sure our listeners wanted to hear. It's uh, exceeded expectations. We'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. As long as my teacher, Tori used to always say he has this recipe for happiness you know, um, expectations over achievement equals happiness or unhappiness. And so he'd always say, please, please, uh, you know, in this, keep your expectations of me low. And so that's <laughs> it. And we would all laugh, but, you know, keep, you know, in this case, keep your expectations of me low as well. You know, I'll just follow <laughs> the teachings of my teacher, you know, and <laughs> hopefully someone gains a little bit of value for sure. Yeah, yeah, well, I have definitely gained value from this podcast. It's been very enlightening, uh, learning lots myself. I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as a yogi. I enjoy yoga and I'm looking to get more into a regular practice now that I've moved out here and uh, <clears throat> looking to start some of that. It's interesting. Many years ago when I was first on my spiritual journey, I went to a Hindu temple because I was really curious about Hinduism and wanting to learn more about it. And one of the, one of the people there invited me to his yoga practice and, but it was Kundalini yoga. Oh yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. Not uh, the traditional Hatha that I, so I had, this was not what I was expecting. Um, Right. Which which, again, it's interesting because there's just so many, it's such a, a broad field of study yoga. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, the Yoga Sutras make this this definition, yoga chitta vritti nirodaha. Yoga is the channelizing or the or the stoppage of all of the mind stuff. You know, and when you think about it, most of us spend a, a, the biggest part of our day in our own stories. You know, something happens to us and I create a story around that. You know, it's like, oh, that person cut me off, you know, or oh, they they went, they glared at me as they drove by in in traffic and and I can like turn that person into an evil monster, you know, or, or I could, you know, like, and, and, and that often happens, or, you know, it's that they're trying to get to the hospital and I was in their way or, you know, whatever our story. will we have a story. And, and a lot of that has to do with what they call chitta vrittis, these whirlpools of sort of the mind stuff. And so back in 200 CE in the time of potentially, you know, they understood that chitta was, was, you know, the mind and the way that we interact with the world and our senses, and then also like our intellect as, as it categorizes and takes information, as well as the ego, 
ego component of our mind, which which takes all of this information and the sensory data, and then it applies the I component to it. It's like I, me, mine, you know, like I, me, mine, what, where, where do I fit into this? And like, how does this work? You know? And, and so we very, very seldom do we, we break down any of that. It's, it's like, it just becomes this enmeshed pot of the senses give me some information and I immediately do something. And I think a lot of what we want to do with yoga is we want to put a stoppage in there so that there's a pause. There's an ability to, to just pause and take a breath and, and just stop. And, and I mean, that's, that's one of the big things I teach. I, I have a lot of corporate clients that I, that I teach and I don't teach Patabi Joyce Asana to them. It's, it's, you know, I don't find it that effective, for them, but I do do have them learn a, an asana practice that I give them, along with some meditative practices and some, you know, some breath work practices, and and almost well, really a hundred percent of them give value in this idea of learning to change the posture of the body to help change the attitude of the mind, right. learning to check in with the breath and where are we in our breath cycle. I mean, we all know this. Anytime we get startled or or we, if we were to get startled in the room or someone's, you know, pulling a gag on you and you're suddenly like, huh! you know, we hold the breath and we like we we get shocked into our breath being held and escaped. And and, you know, like that activates that whole, you know, sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight. I mean, lots of people, I'm sure you've got, you know, lots of podcasters telling you stuff about that. But, you know, we, we get hit with that sympathetic jolt and. And now we have to do something for it. And, you know, maybe in the old days when we were being chased by tigers or something, it was, (laughs) you know, or even in medieval times where there is, you know, more, more violence, I guess, you know, or even if we were in a war zone, I mean, that, that would be an appropriate kind of response, but mostly these kinds of responses, um, if they're not checked, they just lead to us being activated a lot of the time. And then in that activation comes, I think some of the, you know, addition to like some poor, you know, nutritional or lifestyle habits, you know, comes like the rises in blood pressure, the rises in like chronic disease, that sort of thing. So learning to regulate that internal environment a little bit, learning to be able to, to calm down, learning to, to figure out, you know, in your process of postures, where am I holding tension? Could I release this mm. and relax that? I mean, that's, you know, one of my jobs as a Mysore teacher is to just go around. I, I kind of like, I do these two finger adjustments. I just poke people on the shoulder. I'm like, just relax, 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 you know? And, and eventually we start lifting up into it. I even found it this morning when I was meditating, you know, cause I I'm working through this ankle injury ankle surgery that I had. And so I'm sitting in a different position and I, I find myself lifting out and suddenly I'm gripping with my, my right glute, you know, I'm like, Whoa, my my butt's gripped. I'm like, Whoa, just relax. And so I relax for a second. And then I kind of check, let my mind check back in on it. And it's like, I'm right back to that gripped state, you know? And so, so recognizing where are we holding tension in our mind is one thing, but where, where does it get transmitted into our body is, is part of the good, piece of posture practice or asana practice because we can learn with a good teacher how to release that and then add the breath work to it and add some meditation techniques to it and we can learn to bring that mind down it's interesting i just taught my 11 year old i i never really teach him yoga but he's starting grade seven at a new school and he's going to junior high and so i taught 
taught him uh, just a couple days ago how to how to meditate and start to do like a meditation, a three minute meditation practice. And he he went back to his mom's house. And he, you know, I talked to him this morning. He's like, Dad, I did it. I meditated. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, he's got his little timer. And, nice. and um, but this idea that we can train our kids at 11 years old to like start to lift the heart, lift the crown of the head, which will change the ability of the mind to think. But in that also to relax with the exhale, just learn to relax and let go, learn to relax and let go, I think is a vital, vital skill that we can all learn. And I think um, I'm excited, you know, and hopeful that he'll continue on this path because that that, um, ability to self-regulate is very important, you know, certainly for kids that are going to new schools and then adults in any kind of profession. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 talk, talk, talk. No, that's great. That's it's fascinating when you study the body, <laughs> body language, and looking, just scanning one's body, seeing where the tension is. Sometimes I notice I'll be having a conversation with someone or even just listening to something, and my body will start to tense up and if I, if I step back and just scan that and realize that there's that tension there, that maybe something's triggering me. It's really fascinating when we, when we go inward and pay attention to that. Yeah. Right. Isn't, isn't it true? I mean, it's, uh, I had a teacher, Dr. David Jubb, he's been on the podcast and he would say he was a neurophysiologist. So he would study the brain, but he would always say that the body is the mind's experience of itself really that whatever's going on in the body in the mind internally beautiful is expressed physically through the body oh that's through. beautiful beautiful yeah he would he would be good to listen to you have to shoot me that podcast off that listen that's yeah. really good he's you one of that. he's one of those people it's it's really genius information but he's almost so intelligent and out there that it's hard to understand what he's saying um Uh, yeah but if you really listen in to that in general just echoing back all the things that you said though through yoga and through being aware of one's body where maybe where we're holding tension and why why are we holding that tension um, and really just going inward well yeah you know i i a couple years ago i rebranded a little bit because i wanted to move a little bit away from um you know, the specific practices of, of, um, Patabi Joyce Asana. And, um, I really believe that everyone, everyone needs to take on a practice, a practice of some sort. And mm-hmm. I just call it practice for life. Like how, what are you doing? That's a practice for life. I mean, we all have habits. I mean, you know, even our habit of getting to sleep is a very interesting thing. If you think about it, it's like, you know, I brush my teeth and, you know, I put on my favorite PJs or whatever. And I like, don't drink the big latte and argue with my, my <laughs> spouse, you know, like, you know, five minutes before I'm going to bed or I'll be like lying as an insomniac, you know, the first half of the night, you know, so we all have this kind of routine and there's a bunch of habits that we just do unconsciously. But I think at a certain point, we want to be able to um, change, like steer the habits in a, in a very conscious way to, to, to make sure that the habits that we have in our life, the practices that we have in our life are steering us towards that, a, a greater goal. And, and to my mind, like the goal of, of yoga is great and, and this goal in the Gita of keeping the mind steady is, is like paramount to what I what I do and in the yoga sutras they talk also about um, 
He says, He's like, any, any practice, anything that takes the mind towards steadiness can be considered practice. And so, you know, in my more sort of arrogant, snooty, beginner teaching days as, a, as an Ashtangi, you know, I would kind of poo-poo like, yeah, you're not supposed to run. And our teachers used to say, don't run and don't do this because it might build up your hip muscles. And, and, you know, I look at it now and I think, no, if that's your practice for life, that is the thing. Like, use it. You know, maybe you're, that's your yoga. I mean, there'll be other teachers who'll be like, that's not yoga. But, you know, like to me, if the goal is to keep your mind steady and you going for that run and getting that endorphin release and getting that that ability to focus on just that one thing and really, you know, a run will accentuate the breath or maybe it's a ride, maybe you're riding, whatever it happens to be, whatever that thing is you're practicing, let that be the thing that helps to steady the mind. And that that to me is more important than naming this type of yoga or that type of yoga, but it takes discipline. You know, my, my, uh, Patavi Joyce used to always say, and it, and it's actually a quote from the Hatha Pratapika, uh, where he says, you know, anyone can do yoga, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're, you know, skinny, whether you're fat, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, it doesn't matter. You can do yoga. Mm. And then he, he adds this tag at the end. He says, well, everybody except lazy people. (laughs) And so, so, you know, which is a very good point. I mean, like he had sort of his broken English and there was definitely some, some barriers in the way that, that, you know, he, he expressed himself in English to us, but the, um, but this idea is true, you know, like, you know, Jocko Willink, he, you know, that, that, uh, I do. Yeah. Seal, you know, has got a good book and he says, he says, discipline equals freedom. I love that from his mm. book. You know? And I'm like, discipline equals freedom. And I really believe that, you know, if we can have a disciplined life in the way that we're disciplined about what we're taking into our body, ingesting in our mind or spirit, what, you know, what we're doing with our day uh, physically and how we're holding ourselves, disciplining ourselves into, you know, um, whatever thing. And, you know, one of my, one of my other another person I used to teach a bit with his father used to tell him um, mind over mattress, you know, and I thought that was brilliant. Right. Because that's, that also is the other thing. It's like, you know, that's, you know, I know I'm having a bad day or I'm a little tired and I'm, I'm not on it. If I, if I don't wake up before my alarm, this is just me personally. Um, and if I don't wake up before my alarm, then sometimes I'll get into the alarm goes and then I hit the snooze, I hit the snooze, I hit the snooze. And this is not me winning the mind over mattress game. You know, mm. this is, you know, that snooze button is, it's, it's an evil thing in my, in my world, you know? So anyhow, yeah, these are, these are all things. What are the things that we practice that, that get us up? I think um, uh, I was listening to, or I saw a, uh, I mean, I've had this, I've, because I had surgery on my ankle and I'm a little laid up at the moment, you know, I've been spending way too much time on Netflix, but there was a thing on uh, a a documentary on Jordan Peterson. And Mm. one thing he said there was like, just get up and make your bed. I'm (laughs) like, wow, that's, that's brilliant. Like clean up your room and make your bed. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a general down in the States also who uh, I forget his name also recommends this, like just start your day by making your bed. And, you know, again, these are practices, like what are the practices that we have that are adding value to your life that will help? And I think, you know, in in a weird way, this is also yoga. 
you know, to my mind. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jeff. Yeah, my man. Nice to see you. I'm glad you settled on the on the island so nicely. It uh, looks like it suits you well. Oh, I love it out here. It's a completely different world, and uh, you've inspired me to find a, a practice. I've been I've been looking for a yoga practice out here, but just inspired me that much more to go out and and find the right yoga practice. Find the thing for you that you'll do. Yeah, you bet. absolutely yeah okay brian yeah sounds fantastic man nice nice to get a hold of you nice to nice to chat you too and just for our listeners uh is there anywhere they can find you online or do you have social media oh yeah on online you can just go to my website jefflichty.com j-e-f-f-l-i-c-h-t-y.com um I, you know, I have a, uh, I, I was, I'm in the process of revamping a program that I did online during COVID called anxious to awesome. And that's where I take some of the, some of the really streamlined yogic practices that I've learned over my time of study and, and add them to the, how do we manage our anxiety that we have? And most of us have can admit to Mm-hmm. If we're honest to having some anxiety at times, how do I manage anxiety and what we can do that? And so there's a, um, I have an ebook called anxious to awesome. It's just a real quick, it's a real quick uh, e- ebook PDF that you can download for free on the website and you can um, get in contact with me that way. And, and if you have any questions, by all means, just drop me a note through the website and I'd be happy to engage in the conversation. It's, it's uh Yoga is my passion, but more so than that, it's about finding the practices that really match and helping us, helping or, you know, encouraging us all to support each other in building our own practices. I think that's the most important piece. Keep encouraging others to practice. Perfect. JeffLichty.com. Yeah. JeffLichty.com. You got it. All right. Yeah, Great well, talking to you, Brian. You too, Jeff. Thanks a Thanks. lot for taking the time to come on the show today. Really appreciate yeah. it. Right. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Speak again soon. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us online and on social media at elysiumproject.ca.